again, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome back as we continue in season number three. My name is Jeff Bonney. I'm the host of the program and your executive director of the Connecticut Certification Board. And on behalf of my board of directors and the staff at the CCB, I'd like to welcome you to this episode of the Scope of Practice podcast. If you've listened to this podcast before, you know that I usually prepare an introduction with some factual information, with my opinion, and on occasion, something clever. Well, hopefully anyways. I really haven't done that for today's conversation, as the simple truth speaks for itself. We continue to see our family members, friends, and neighbors die unnecessarily from overdoses in record numbers. We as a field have to admit that what we've been doing isn't working. And when I say we, all those in the field, I mean in a big picture. And we must demand change, not just change, but radical change, and we have to work to achieve it. For some of us, the first step may be changing our attitudes about what change should look like, and I hope we can start that today with the truth about overdose prevention centers. I met our guest about a month ago at a community forum in Manchester, Connecticut, uh, and hung on his every word. Sam Rivera has almost 30 years of progressive experience in the social services. His primary focus of expertise lies in criminal justice reentry, HIV and AIDS, harm reduction, addiction and recovery, and mental health. He's the executive director of On Point NYC, which operates OPCs, overdose prevention centers, at two sites in the city, one in Harlem and one in Washington Heights. The OPCs operated by On Point NYC are the first two sites in the United States, joining nearly 200 others in 14 countries. Sam, welcome, and thank you for taking the time to talk directly to the professionals in the field who can benefit from learning about the OPCs. Well, I'll say it's... uh... It's truly a pleasure to be here, and your your opening is absolutely beautiful. I, I mean, I mean, I really mean that. Um, uh, I I really like how you're breaking out. You know, we the fact that we have to do things differently, and 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 we have to also hold ourselves accountable for what we've done. You know, and I don't mean that we've had negative impact. What I mean by what we've done is that we missed a few things and it's okay. I, I think part of why, you know, it's very interesting when I find when, when people ask me who, who has negative feelings about your work, it's sad, but in a sense, not shocking that it's mostly people in the field who are either stubborn, uh, are f- having some other feelings inside of them where they're, they're, they're thinking around what works isn't working. And they don't know how to handle that. And I, and I think that um, if we are healers in our work, and most of us come from a place of healing, and we're sh- and we're closed to 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 learning, then we're not we're not doing the right thing. And, and I so- think for some, you know, to be fair, that there's some well-intentioned ignorance. Um, they just know what they've been taught, and right. this hasn't been part of it because it's it it, it is radical. Yeah, yeah, uh, I agree. I agree, and. Even me, I've worked in this, I've been in this work 30 years. And there was there were times for a long time where I said it's abstinence or nothing. You're not getting it. You're hurting yourself. And you know, um the, the biggest issue within that is the provider making the decision for for the person who's going through the process, the provider inst- in uh instilling their process, what they went through, what worked for them isn't always what's going to work for someone else. In fact, we know it, it and most times it doesn't work for someone else. Mm-hmm. What we can do in best is give 50 examples, a thousand examples, uh, many, many, many approaches to getting well 
and what wellness looks like. And then the individual will create their path. Um, I said this recently, and I'm saying that every time I speak anywhere, is if anybody in this work believes that they themselves get someone to stop using drugs, then they have to check themselves. Because what we should be doing, what our responsibility to do is to show up in ways uh, where the individual we're, we're trying to support isn't, isn't yet and be there and, and guide them and give them information. And it's their journey to decide how and when um, and what healing means to them. Uh, we can't continue to put our uh, stuff on what healing means to someone else. And quite frankly, own the fact that most people who do well, well, and I'm using air quotes, mm-hmm. um, in this process are mandated to do well in this process. And clearly it doesn't work. Those are the highest relapses. Those are the folks that fail most, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, it, 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 you're right. And, I, and we'll get to that too, about what somebody wants versus what a, an organization wants. But I'd like to start with something you said at the community forum that really evoked a visceral response from me and then took it away almost immediately. And I found that incredible. Said, you said, when people think of OPCs, and I'm paraphrasing, you know, they imagine an orgy of drug use, <laughs> yeah. but nothing could be further from the truth. Right. So if somebody did look inside your front door, so one of the centers, what do they see? Thank you. Yeah, so so I said that because when you're outside of our facility, you know, people are, are definitely thinking that. I've spoken to people. I have many, many people who show up and visit and go, wait a minute, what's going on here? And what I mean by that is you open the doors and you're walking into a drop-in center and you're watching people having coffee uh, on a computer, a meeting with a case manager, meeting with a mental health professional. Um, of course, you know, we also have private, rooms for that but some of that interaction happens in the drop-in center uh, watching a movie or just sitting down having some respite um waiting to take a shower waiting to go upstairs and utilize one of our many many or a few of our many services including holistic health and medical uh, low threshold medical services there's so much going on that the opc is one just one program within the larger program but the perception oftentimes is if i look in I'm going to open the door and there's this drug using orgy or like um, when I was in started in the work many, many years ago, 30 years ago, when we go to a shooting gallery or we would walk into a space, an abandoned building. So first thing is that shock of, wait a minute, where, where's this drug use happening? This is a professional environment in both programs. We have a peer model and a medical model. Mm-hmm. In both programs, they're separate rooms, locked, secured, safe for individuals to utilize this much needed service. So that's the first piece. It's like, oh, wait a minute. So when someone wants to come in and use the OPC, they have to say that, I'm here to use the OPC. They all go through a process of of screening. Even if they've been with us, we ask a series of of the same questions and they're very important, mostly because we don't open 24 hours. It's our goal, we will get there before the end of the year, but we're not there yet. So for instance, we say, what are you using? How much? How? Um, If you weren't here, where would you use? That's a big one for the community because they'll say, oh, down the block in the bathroom at a restaurant or in an alley or in the park. And that's the impact we want to have in the community. We want to remove that. And we want to support the community in that way where we're taking all of that public drug use away by bringing folks in and creating this safe space. Uh, We ask them, 
specifically, and it's very, very important right now, is did you buy fentanyl intentionally? Because fentanyl is in every drug we test, mm -hmm. every drug except marijuana, but people don't really use marijuana on our site. Um, so so that's, you know, the, the process. Um, at that point, after you meet with that staff member, they prepare your paperwork and they call into the OPC and ask for, depending if you're smoking or if you're using a booth. Uh, so we call them safe consumption sites because they're not injection only, right? Polymodality, all, all, all drugs are able to be used on site. So once the person, uh, they radio in, I have someone for the booth, as an example. They have a booth available. They'll say, okay, we have a booth available. That person gets a warm handoff, a very direct handoff to the person inside the OPC. They bring them in. They usually know them. If they don't know them, they do a quick introduction. I'm your person. I'll be with you throughout this process. They go and wash their hands, and then they go and pick up their paraphernalia. They bring their own drugs. We don't provide them. Um, they pick up their paraphernalia. We know what they're going to use because we have the sheet. This is what they told our team outside. And then they go to the booth and start their process. If they want to screen, they offer the screen, uh, but they can only really use the screen for the actual drug use at mm -hmm. that point we need to see them so we need to move the screen or have access to 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 watch them just in case an overdose uh takes place so that's really the process they're in the room they're in a safe environment there's music playing the 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 uh community starts to take place because they're in there and they see people they know they talk to the staff they talk about the news um I keep saying it, I'll say it again, and I, I I need to probably tweet at Will Smith and thank him for, for smacking Chris Rock because it was such a powerful tool that reduced drug use. I know it sounds wild, um, but it's righteous. What happened is people were in that room giving their opinions, you know, about the situation. And in fact, and I'll tell you, in fact, they use less because they were... Um, talking and they were like, I came in to use two bags. I'm using one. I don't want to use the next one because I'm going to kind of get a little too too deep in my in, in, in my high that I won't be able to participate. And I have a lot of opinions about <laughs> Chris Rock and the smacking thing. Um, but that's just an example of what happens in that room, of the community that happens in that room. Kaylin C., our senior director of programs, who really led the actual creation of this because she's done this. She's the only one who's done this outside of, of, of the United States. And mm -hmm. she, she did it for many years in Canada. She says the least interesting thing that happens in the room is the drug use. Like all of the interaction and the community building and the humanizing uh, with folks who have been dehumanized, the non-judgmental supportive loving environment is the medicine. Yeah, I don't want to understate the importance of having a conversation about something where your opinion is respected and appreciated yes. and valued yes. because there's a, and I'll use air quotes here myself, that's a sense of normalcy. Oh, yeah. Hey, I am a human. That's I right. have, I can have a conversation about something, regardless of what it is. Regardless, right. Even if it's Will Smith or the playoffs, it, uh, you know, all kinds of stuff. Um, they're really, and you know, think about this. Folks use drugs alone. In New York City, folks use it in an alley to have to use very quickly. Um, women, I always talk about women separately because it is crucial. When women use drugs, their risks around the drug use, the, the, the physical abuse, the potential rape while they're high, um, the safety for them on a variety of levels 
I've wa- I watch women when we first open really nervous in the room to kind of going literally saying, oh, my God, I can I can use and close my eyes and not think and worry about someone attacking me from the back. Right. Um, all of that is a beautiful experience. And not only the women, the men as well. Uh, they're not judged. They're not called out of their name. We We refer to them as their name. And then we get into these really deep conversations around why are they using What's the pain associated with their use? Um, when we ask them that, oftentimes they say, you know, I'm a loser. I'm the black sheep of the family. I'm the bad person. And we talk about where what, what's leading to their use. And we know, uh, and I mean, we, all of those of us in this field know that most people are self-medicating pain, trauma, et cetera. And when, you, when you're able to have that conversation with a drug user to watch their expression change, to feel heard, as you said, to feel part of their process. That to me is what what starts to really get people to change uh, or or to look at themselves as the possibility of being different, right? Uh, Many of our staff have lived experience, more than 50%. So they're talking to people who've been there. Some of the beautiful conversation is when they look at a staff member and go, I, you know, you're great and you, and I know you have love for this, but I don't think you get it. And the staff member says, oh, really? <laughs> right. So we talk to the staff to use their their lived experience as a as a tool in the toolbox. Right. To to bring it in and share it if they're comfortable, only if they want to. But if they're going to share it, to share it in that moment um, as a tool. And we have staff members will show pictures of themselves when they were out there. And it just blows them. It blows away the participant and it gives them a sense of help as well. Hope as well. Yeah. In this field, we talk a lot about meeting people where they're at, but I got to be honest with you. <laughs> I find that to be conditional at best That's right. or even an outright myth. I go around the country and I do a training totally. for many staffs around the country that's called meeting people where they're at and other fairy tales. Uh, <laughs> I love that. But OPCs truly do meet truly. people where they're at. The epitome of it. Explain how you do it. You started to already a little bit. Yeah. Thank you. Oh, my God. I just love talking to someone who, for me, gets it. I mean, this is it's interesting Um, when we bring people in to visit, they change their minds very quickly. And in the field themselves, there are many people that go, Sam, this is great. And those who know me, this is great. And then they walk away and go, this is nuts. You know, they they don't agree. But, yeah, you you know, um, truly meeting it's their journey. Like we, it's their journey. Even if it's bad, it's their journey. And we have to respect that. We really do. Right. And. I know in, in my work in 30 years, folks who have received the respectful approach to what their journey was tend to hold their, their recovery, however they define it, not our definition of recovery, however they define it, um, uh, in, in long-term, in, 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 in serious long-term. Uh, many people struggle with attending meetings, et cetera, where they say any drug and you're going to use everything. It doesn't apply to everybody. It just doesn't. I know too many people, too many, and I mean this, and I'll never mention the names, but really too many people who are in a form, you know, in the known forms of recovery, who are, who great, who build these great relationships with their, with their, with their friends and in, in meetings. And it's important to them. And they celebrate these every year. They have an annual celebration but they drink and they can't go in that room and say that because they'll lose those years and those friendships because they would be considered, you know, a relapser and back to day one. So they, they hide it. 
Can you imagine the pain they're going through? They need that friendship in that community, but they can't. They choose not to be extremely honest because they're going to get judged and all of that happens. For them, drinking doesn't lead to a bag of dope. For many people, anything leads to everything, but that's not for everybody. So really to answer your question, we're truly meeting people where they're at, where they are, literally in that room, when they say, or if we meet them in the street, I need to keep using right now. We say, okay, let's keep you alive. Let's keep you alive. Dead users don't recover. Right. <laughs> you know, so what do we do to keep you alive? And that's the medicine. That's when you have the opportunity to truly spend time with the individual and watch them grow and watch them grow in a safe way. And I'll say this, many of our treatment providers, the, 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 the these treatment providers who've been around for many, many years are understanding it and coming, coming in. We had a few treatment providers already, and this is mind-blowing. We've changed the way we work. They're changing the way they work. We've had treatment providers literally sit when someone says, I need to use one more time, right? We've all known that. Like, I, even I'm going to start a diet, but I'm going to eat the, I'm eat a lot on Sunday night till midnight. And then Monday I start over, right? We have people say, I got to have that last, you know, that last use and then I'll go. I have, we've had a detox a person taking someone to a detox, sit at the booth while someone's using. They finish using, they pack their bags and drive them to detox. That's love, man. That's truly meeting people where they are. Not, not, And that's not us. Those are our partners in the field. That's what it's about. That's stepping up for the individual and not putting our stuff on them. Our work kicks up. If you've been in this work a long time, you remember when we used to say we flip your belly, right? <laughs> right? Our work flips the bellies of many people who are in the work, and I think it's okay. <laughs> I think part of this, and what you're explaining, provides this crisis of conscience for the yeah. substance use disorder prevention, treatment, and recovery field is, do we value human life, or do we value human life that's in recovery as we see it? Right. Oh, and man. And we have to say that, uh, like you said, it's everybody's journey. And individuals who use drugs have basic human rights that need to be guaranteed as well. And groups like the Drug Policy Alliance yes. fight for that. Yes. Um, yes. Someone doesn't have to do what I want them to do or what I think is best because I'm not walking in their shoes. Right, right. I just have to yeah. listen and motiv help motivate them for what they want, whatever that may be. Right. Uh, you know, to, to, to talk to people, you know, I have not talked to one person and not, and our staff either telling them about stop about about you know their need to stop using. They come to us. I mean, you have to see it. I can't wait for you to visit. You know, I'll come in one day and I talk to them and they thank me again. Thank you for having this. And we always tell them it's their space. It's not ours, right? And they thank me and they cry because they want to stop, right? And just yesterday, yesterday, yeah, one of the guys he's there every day, four times a day comes over and says to me, grab my shirt. I'm like, hey, are you okay? He's like, I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. And I'm like, if that's what you want, let's go. We're ready for you. And I want to hire you. And he starts crying. You know, a lot of tears in that room. I said, I want to hire you. Make me hire you, man. Like you're, you're, you're the individual who used the OPC, who used it for nine months, eight months, used it and love it. And on your own, you're deciding to stop. So what, what do you need? 
he goes, I want to go to detox and, and I want to go to treatment for a little while. We have these great new partner, expanded partnerships with treatment providers. And so one guy came back from a long, from a long, he went in, I think two months after we opened, he just came back and he looks like a million bucks. And so those guys that used to use in a room with him are like, oh my God, I want that. Not us, not us pushing it on him. So he's starting to see that, right? And then I take the opportunity to say, you know how powerful this is? You know how hard it is for a user to stop in New York City specifically to stop using in the summer while the weather's beautiful and go indoors? That means that you're telling me you're really ready because most people want to do want to go into treatment when it's freezing and snowing and ugly out, and you're doing it now. And 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 he he stopped for a moment. He goes, I didn't even think about that. Yes, and uh, and and so those are the relationships. And then we, you know, we the the rest of the room joins in. And we also make sure we don't create a space where other people who are using the room feel like, oh, my God, I'm not that. So we're celebrating everything. Every day we see someone, we celebrate the fact that they came back and they're using the facility to stay alive. Um, so, so yeah, you, you know, having a process in place where people get to choose their journey and we respect that humanizing folks who are, I mean, saying someone's name for them to cry because we said their name, knowing that um, our senior team or other folks in the organization remember their name, it seems like nothing. For them, it's it's heart-wrenching. Like they, it, it reaches them in a way that's absolutely beautiful. I'm just sitting here and taking this all in and just it, one thing comes to me and that's relationships. Mm-hmm. We know people we can help people change when we form a relationship. There's research that supports that. And it sounds like the folks that work alongside you are absolutely experts in forming relationships with people who aren't especially good with relationships because it hasn't benefited them so, so far. You know, I, I, you know what I just thought about, I always talk about our staff, because they're truly amazing. And I mean that. And I just thought of something. And thank you for that. Thank you. Thank you so much for that. I saw suddenly I thought about staff who are working in organizations, as I have, who are abstinence or nothing and have to uh, uh, let people go, discharge people when in their heart and their soul, they don't want to do it. And they have that feeling of, I don't, I'm not doing something right here. I'm missing a point here. I'm missing something. I know the rules of these. These are the rules they agreed to. Can't use while you're in this program. And they violated those rules, air quotes again. But I, I, I know many, many people I've worked with over these 30 years who feel that pain. And I just thought about this, the way you put it, thank you, that our staff don't have to experience that. They get to be as free and loving and open as as they want to be because we don't have barriers. We don't have, we're extreme, we're the epitome of low threshold, right? Um, basically no threats, no, no, you know, and this is something I, I have to acknowledge I got from the Fortune Society, no threats of violence or violence. Everything else is wide open. So staff themselves are free to know that they're not discharging people for things that, that um, for reasons that they know aren't really uh, um, uh, they're not really part of the of the of the appropriate process in that moment. Right. We we as I'm a Native American. We talk a lot about medicine 
and what medicine is. And when I ask people what medicine is, they talk about a pill they put in their mouths, right? And for us, medicine, like we say, we are the medicine, the people are the medicine. And those of us who are working with folks in the deepest pain in their lives, we are responsible and have the opportunity to be the medicine. And one way we do it well is to truly meet them where they're at, respect where they are in that moment. And, and, and when they're leaving the room saying, I'll see you tomorrow or I'll see you later, and that's the relationship that for many people take them to that next place of healing. And I'm thinking that's what brings them back. Oh, man. A hundred percent. There's two big things. And we haven't even gotten into, into the reversals and everything, right? But we are at 365 overdose interventions in, in, in less than eight months, right? Um, and even the way we respond to an overdose is what brings them back. Example, we're only using Narcan about 20% of the time. That's People go, wait a minute, that doesn't make sense. Though it's part of understanding how to respond to an overdose. We use oxygen every time. We use agitation every time. A lot of movement and name and calling their name and take doing everything possible to remove the opioid from the brain or enough of it so that they can breathe again on their own, etc. But when you talk about them coming back, we've yet to use nasal Narcan. We don't use it because it's too much Narcan, especially if you're there as the overdose uh, kicks in. But there's another reason. When you give someone nasal Narcan, of course you save their lives. Please do it. I want to be very clear. Please use nasal Narcan in the street, wherever you are, unless you're in an OPC. When you use Narcan, and you know this, um, when people come out of it, they have withdrawal. They feel sick for a long time. If we want them to come back using intramuscular Narcan or no Narcan, that's the relationship too. They're present throughout. They don't have to go through that withdrawal. They know we're doing it in a supportive, loving way. And it's 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 really, I, I got so used to, all of us, I guess, got so used to watching someone come out of an overdose in a violent, body-shaking, violent, you know. All, folks come out of it and go, they'll look over and go, what are you doing here? We're like, well, you we just had an overdose, you know. <laughs> and they kind of, okay, cool. Like, it's, it's just such a different experience. But yeah, always thinking about what we can do to get that person to come back. I used to do crisis response in an emergency room. And I remember getting chewed out with a nurse by Ooh. someone saying, you, you, ruined my here. you ruined the best I've had in 20 years. Right. And for you, you <laughs> yeah. said, I just yeah, saved but your you, life. You, yeah, but you could have died, but I was still alive. Isn't that wild, right? But yeah. in that moment, that but see, that's more about meeting them where they're at. Yeah. If we get an attitude about that, and go, you know what, well, forget you then. Next time I won't give it to you. Can you imagine that thinking? We know it happens. So for us, it's respecting that. Sometimes we get called out, run outside because someone else, someone overdosed. And by the time we get there, someone gave them four milligrams of Narcan. And they're very angry and going through that, right? And then we bring them in and say, hey, this person saved your life. Here's what happened. But when you're using here, it won't be the same experience. It would be very different. And so that's, believe it or not, I think, not this is anecdotal, um, what uh, the referrals, how the referrals are happening outside where users are telling other users, holy shit, I overdosed and didn't even know it. And I was feeling fine and I still had my high. I'm definitely going back there. 
And more importantly today with, with, with fentanyl, um, it's sad, but but we're losing someone every so many minutes and it's unnecessary. Uh, so that hurts. And I was going to ask you about reversals and I was thinking of the best way that kind of suits where I'm at to ask about it and what I came up with. And, and I'll read you the kind of the question I jotted down is, how many daughters and sons, brothers and sisters, hmm. mothers and fathers, et cetera, have been saved from overdose? Oh, my God. Because we have to remember that it's not an overdose. We may be reversing an overdose, but we're saving a person's life. You know, thank you. Yes. It, it, 300 and, ahead, 365 is the number, right? Bigger than that, also include not included in that, is being in that room. Learning if if they if they're using wrong if they if they if they're using too much like all of these other things that happen in the room right, um, being aware of fentanyl being aware that this can kill you. We've had people yesterday again yesterday I forgot what day I got in very early, but we weren't open yet and we had one of our guys out there and he's fidgeting and I'm like what's up he's like I'm sick like I have to use right, and I don't want to use anywhere because I I don't know what's in this so. You know, we opened we opened right away and got him in. But he was aware that as much as he was dope sick and needed to use, he was scared to use somewhere, not knowing what would happen if this had too much fentanyl and he overdosed. Right. So those those situations like that and those stories really at home to have we have a couple we have a few couples that come in. Interesting enough. Almost every couple I speak to or speak with who have shown who has shown up and you utilize the OPC, they all say, or every couple has told me personally that they started using during COVID. They had some, they had some some time under their belt and they started using during COVID. And this 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 recent couple I spoke with, to, to go back to what you said about mothers and everything else, came to me. Oh my God. And I was trying to be so cool. I just lost it telling me how much their kids, showing me texts from their kids to tell me thank you for keeping their parents alive. They don't understand it, so they're mad at their parents, and that's 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 justifiable. Like, really angry at their parents, and why are you trying to kill yourself? And then saw some piece on the news and realized, like, what if my parents would have died? And then both the parents told them we overdosed. They both overdosed a couple times. And so those kids are now thanking us. And that might be the motivation that gets them on the other side when they're ready. I do see a difference in them. I know for sure they're using less. I see it. And so, uh, again, another couple who are amazing, smart, beautiful human beings. I've been saying this for many, many years. Some of the most amazing people I've ever worked with have met in this in my lifetime. People who use drugs. Beautiful and super intelligent, super driven. You know, we used to have this, not a joke, but the saying when, when we were here, they say, uh, users are lazy. And I'm like, what? <laughs> you know, if, if the drug is on the other side of a mountain, they're climbing it, they're going around it. And if they have to, they'll lift the mountain up to get it. Right. It's about motivation. So watching people, um, you know, get well and, and embrace the fact that they are beautiful humans uh is is you know i go home every day blessed every day oh my god i'm so blessed to do this work you know i always remember that it's people because it's very personal to me 30 years ago i lost my brother to an overdose mm -hmm. and then three years ago his 
adult daughter who was about 30 years old died in a motel in 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 the area of an overdose so it's very personal to me um and i was that person who really had issues my brother and i didn't get along mm -hmm. and if he was alive today i'd still be pissing him because he owes me 10 bucks and i'd probably kick his ass <laughs> but i'd still love him <laughs> right right hey you know I, and i'm really sorry oh my god for both of both those losses but that's the moment, right? And people respect you, and I hope they hear this right now. Everything we said, I hope people are listening to this point right now. What you would do to have your brother and be angry at him for 10 bucks, right? Mm -hmm. What you would do. That if, if we can create the safest opportunity for people to stay alive, you could still be angry at your brother. He you wouldn't have given me the 10 bucks either, but I know. <laughs> right, <that>. right? <laughs> but we have them here, right? And, and, and that's the thing I say to people. Let's not let our all or nothing attitude, which isn't reality for many of us. I, when, I, when I get deep into conversation, and I, I had one about two weeks ago, and it was great with people who are all over the place on this. I said, can we have a real conversation? And we talked about diet and smoking cigarettes and drinking beer or drinking pep you know uh, a soda the struggles right and then what if ju someone judged you so harshly for doing that what you know because it's easier as a as a society to judge those people to judge those drug users because what we tend to do as people is put people in, in you know compartmentalize people and then put us in a separate box right like i know Soda, soda isn't good for you, pop, whatever people are calling it. Mm -hmm. But I drink diet soda, so I'm better than you. <laughs> or this isn't good for you, right? So so uh, heroin isn't good to you, for you, and you're an injector. I just sniff, yeah. right? We keep, with these are things we do. And and what I oftentimes tell people is to look at your own stuff and then and then think about um, what our people are going through. And, and, and the most important thing in what we do is keep people alive. And know that 100% anyone, no one ever, ever again has to die of an overdose. These programs have been around for over 35 years. It has never lost a, an individual. Never. Not almost, not one, not 10,000. Never. In a country where we had 107,000 overdose deaths. Unnecessary, right? And so forget all our opinions and all that other stuff. If you flat out tell me you don't care about drug users, then it makes sense. But if 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 you respect human beings the way we tend to say we do, then you know what we're doing may sound, people say radical, I say righteous. <laughs> it might sound like it's way out there. Mm -hmm. And my response is it's it's a blessing to to be able to offer to be able to offer this service and and watch the medicine take place and in our time of opening uh, uh less than a year ago to the, the impact we're having is is absolutely amazing when you were developing the opcs did you kind of learn from the successes and mistakes of colleagues from around the world that have have undertaken the same thing. If you look and talk to them, and they said, "Oh, this worked, but be careful of this." And and is that kind of part of the process? Oh yeah, definitely. Again, we have a huge advantage. We have Kaylin C, our senior director of programs, who worked in a number of them in Canada. So she brought all of that experience, all of those lessons learned. 
Uh, so he really pro- propelled us. We had a, a, a lot faster opportunity. You know, I, I make this joke with Kaylin because when I took the job now a little over two years ago, right away, she was telling me OPCs. And I was like, oh, my God, I have to fix so many things. Let's not talk about an OPC. But she wouldn't stop. And she kept saying, and you know, I'm always I'm always I'm the kind of person that says, you know, talk about it, bring it, make it make it happen. Right. Create it in your mind. So one day she finally heard me say that she was, oh, wait a minute. So don't don't cut me off anymore when I say OPC. <laughs> but she kept talking about it. And as we were getting new spaces and building them out, she would always stop and go, remember, this might be an OPC one day. And then it happened. And she was right, because when we went to build out the space specifically for the OPC, we already had the structure up. Right. So, yeah, um, there's a, there are a lot of lessons learned from other people. There are um, lessons we've already learned in, in these months since we've opened. Not, not many, but there have been a few here and there. Uh, we've had many, many, many organizations reach out who are interested, who want to learn. I continue to tell people, please, if you're going to open these, please move slowly. Please visit. Let us support you. Let us get you there. Um, on the great news side, there are there are a good handful of organizations who are a lot closer than people think. I'm really excited about it. We ourselves, I want to be clear, on Point NYC, we are not anywhere close to opening an additional one. We're supporting others in opening theirs. Uh, the closest we are is potential is a potential mobile unit. Uh, we're supporting hospitals in potentially opening some. We're out there, and the, because this isn't ours. You know, right. I'll tell you this, you lost your, your brother and your and your niece. When we crossed the finish line and opened this place, it wasn't our victory. It was everyone's victory. It was everyone who's ever worked in treatment and harm reduction. It was everyone who's ever lost someone. When we opened, we put candles at every booth for those who couldn't be here. Um, it was important to do that and acknowledge the losses we've had. And... If we lose someone in the community, we still take a booth and dedicate it to that person uh, because they weren't with us and we didn't have the opportunity to intervene. Um, so, yeah, you, you know, it's it's important that we work with organizations who want to open. It's it's important, and I'll say this: even if after this conversation we're having, and it's one of my the best, the most comfortable I've had. Thank you. If you still disagree, I didn't then just have the courtesy to respect it. Mm-hmm. And maybe one day you'll understand it. And I will say this, I 100% understand folks who go, what the hell is that? What is he doing? 100%, it sounds absolutely nuts, of course. But it isn't. It sounds like it, but it isn't. It is It is absolutely amazing. Um, when I first heard of an OPC 20 years ago, I think it was, I was at a conference. And I, I just thought, like, whoa, what are these people doing? This is, you know, I was an abstinence guy. Um, and then talked to users and spoke to users and realized, like, what do I think? What's the power I really think I have, right? Like, if I'm really here for that person, why am I putting my stuff on that person? And I'm blessed to uh, be the executive director of the first two in the country and I say that more for my mom and my kids, that no matter what happens, daddy and your son will always be the first to <laughs> the first executive director to open one. And as a person who's been in prison and have had my issues in life, 
um, it, it feels good. It's, it, there's some form of redemption. It doesn't forgive anything I've ever done before, but um, but it feels good to give back yeah, to the community. And I don't think for me that it, it, it it's about seeking forgiveness. Right. I think it's about moving forward. There's an acceptance of of who we are, who we were, but that doesn't mean it's going to be who we are tomorrow. And and we all have the ability to positively impact somebody else's life. And that's a gift that you don't have to be trained to do. Right. Um, <laughs> yeah. So that, that empathy. Uh, and, and I think it is difficult for the field because I know I've been in the field since the late 80s. Everything I learned, I had to unlearn. That's right. As times change, and I'm sure that there are things that seem appropriate today that in 10 years will be like, why did we do that? (laughs) Because that's what happens. We have to evolve, right? We have to evolve. Um, The only way to evolve is to keep an open mind. And and when some someone brings up some radical, righteous approach, just kind of listen for a minute. (laughs) Show me how it'll work. Instead of saying, well, that won't work. Show me what you have in mind. Yeah, let's hear this. Yes, definitely. Well, I definitely will visit. I look forward to it. one of my board members today says, if you go visit, I want to go. I said, okay. Please okay. come. You know, I said, we'll, we'll work it out. Please come. Um, and so it's just a quick ride down on Metro North. That's so, right. So, uh, and I also look forward to seeing you. This won't air in time, but at the public hearing in Connecticut, the Zoom hearing about it, yeah. uh, that, that, that Root Center is a part of. So I look forward to that. And anything you'd like to throw out there before we finish up? Yeah, I just want to give actually some numbers. Um, since we've opened November 30th, we have we're coming up on 1,500 unique individuals using the space, using the spe- specifically the two OPCs. Yep. Um, those 1,500 people have used them 27,000 times. <laughs> and don't forget, we're open Monday through Friday in Harlem from 8 a.m. to 9 p.m. I mean, 9 a.m. to 8 p.m. And the same in Washington Heights. And then on the weekends in Washington Heights till 4 p.m. So we're not 24 hours and not even really truly expanded hours yet. And of all those folks, we've had uh, 365 overdose interventions. And that's 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 the beauty, man. Um, so, yeah, you know, the, the thing I will say is, oh, in addition to that, because some people are about money and that's OK, too. Um, every every time there's an overdose, I'll speak specifically about New York City, it's roughly $30,000 to get someone to the ER, go through the process, et cetera. I've spoken to doctors recently who were like, you're way low because if they stay a night, it gets outrageously expensive. And in New York City, if you have an overdose, uh, the, the police come, the ambulance come, and they you know take the person to the ER. We've had 365 interventions, overdose interventions. We've called an ambulance only five times and only two people left in the ambulance. And all five times had nothing to do. We didn't need support with the overdose. We had concerns following the overdose. Other mitigating conditions uh, is what what concerned us, you know, uh, high blood pressure, epilepsy, things like that. So all five went in the ambulance, three le- two left with the ambulance, the other the other three stayed. So we even did a simple number like 30,000 times 360. I think we're doing pretty good on uh, that level of impact. The other highlight I'll give quickly on um, the community itself, both communities are telling us they're seeing fewer syringes, they're definitely seeing fewer use and in the bathrooms and public parks and schools. And the 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 most exciting one we have actual data on is a park called Highbridge Park in Washington Heights. Beautiful park, huge. 
we were averaging before we opened the site. We have a, a, a partnership with the Parks Department. We were collecting, they were collecting 13,000 syringes a month in the park. I mean, that's a lot. Since then, they're averaging a thousand. <laughs> so every all the paraphernalia our participants use in our space stays in our space. So that's impact. That's yeah. beautiful. That's a park. When I started, the swings and the slides were closed. And I look across the street and I watch kids on the swings and on the slides and in the little water park of uh, of the park on a 90 plus degree day. And that makes me cry hard <laughs> when I see that. So my biggest, not my biggest goal, but one of the biggest ones is to watch all of these parks come back to life and watch children own and take ownership to these uh, beautiful parks we have in New York City again. And and then I could just go fishing or something <laughs> and in my career in a good way. You know, uh, I, I'm fascinated also by the impact on the community and how to get community buy-in, working with the community instead of fighting them. Exactly. And, uh, and respect we can have that opinion. conversation another time. Yeah, we will. And respecting their opinions. I mean, yeah, yeah they, this sounds out there. So we have to respect that. And then bring them into the process and introduce them to the space. So. Reggie, I mean, uh, thank you very much, Sam and Reggie there. I want to thank Reggie as well. He's uh, he's listening to Reggie Johnson. Well, kind of put everything together and gave me some background information. Uh, that's going to do it for this episode of Scope of Practice. I'd like to thank, uh, again, Sam Rivera. Fantastic work. And uh, we appreciate all who listen. Thank you for spending a small part of your day with us. Um, and as you know, we always seek sponsors to help us out with the production costs. And if you're interested in that, uh, please reach out to me. Thanks for listening, everybody. 